0: Okay, welcome everyone to the eighth Around the Horn Health and Phys Ed. And this is just gonna be a great, different kind of episode, no points, no timers. And I just think it's gonna be a fantastic discussion on just some really important issues going on in, with shape and just in general in our educational field. So I'm gonna hand it over to Justin. So let's get going, Justin.
1: All right, so we are here. Uh, it's gonna be heavy social justice, people are gonna get poked in the chest listeners you may uh feel a little verklempt as you're listening but that's all right that's why we're here to push you uh normally we keep our intros really quick uh but today i, I really want your expertise to shine and people to understand uh the the level of knowledge you bring to this subject area and to Ed and health. so when you go around you know feel free to crow a little bit definitely tell us about yourself uh what you bring and really uh so people can understand that this is not just a couple people who are getting a question and then thinking for 30 seconds and spitting it off. A lot of us have been putting time and effort, and some of you are are teaching this content. So let's first start with uh, Tara, the reason why we are here. Uh, She wrote this fantastic journal article uh, and got uh, at least my community buzzing, and really we said, hey, this is something we should talk about. So, Tara, can you introduce yourself, please? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Thank you. I'm Tara Blackshear, from Balti- or coming from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I teach at Towson University in the Physical Education Teacher Education Program. Um, prior to that, I taught overseas for seven years, four years in Thailand and three years in Egypt. Um, and prior to that, I taught in the States for 10 years and worked on a research project at UNC Chapel Hill in North Carolina. So I repatriated in 2016, and boy, have things, they've changed, but they remain the same as well. So thank you for having me.
1: Uh, it's awesome. And she has to deal with Dylan Landy all the time, <laughs> which in and of itself should give you a stipend, but that's another conversation. Steven, want to talk about yourself, please. Yeah, um... I'm definitely not going to be the most dynamic person here tonight. I will say that up front. (laughs) I'm here to learn and kind of explore the topic and figure out what's going on. I've taught for the last five years in Philadelphia. Before that, I taught in the South Bronx. All of my experience has been
0: predominantly in inner cities, as well as environments where the vast majority of my students are Black or Hispanic or Latino,
1: so I'm coming here with years of experience of trying to figure out how I can be the best educator to my students. Love it. All right. We have a doctor in the house. Yes, we do. Coming back again. Love having you here, Dr. Martha. Want to tell us a little bit about yourself, please?
3: Oh, wait, I'm muted. I had unmute. Okay. All right. Um, Yes. Thank you for letting me be here again. Um, My name is Martha James Hassan, and I am a faculty member at Morgan State University, which is the inner city rival of Towson University, or they try and make it into a rivalry that to sell tickets is not really working. Um, But I have the privilege of crossing paths with Tara from time to time. Um, So really, really glad that you took us up on this opportunity to come and chat with us a little more. Um, My work in physical education, I started, i taught in Guam, and then I taught in um, St. Paul, Minnesota, and was a building-level administrator and a district-level leader uh, prior to transitioning to higher education, um, where I started my higher education full-time career at Towson, and am now at Oregon State. Um, My work in social justice and diversity has been uh, really about a 20, 25-year journey, Uh, I developed a theoretical framework for looking at intercultural interaction um, called cultural fluency that I've written about a few times in a number of places and presented about um, and the ideas about implicit bias and the hidden curriculum and how physical education is really, because of its, its relationship to sport and the body's need and love of movement, how physical education can either be a hegemonic device that reinforces inequities or we can be a mechanism to interrupt them. So... I'm happy to always bring other people along on this adventure.
1: Love it. And we have our first term that needs explanation, hegemonic. For most of us out there, we do not know what hegemony is. Can you give us a quick definition, please?
3: How about we decide if it's hegemony or hegemony? (laughs) We have that debate. (laughs) Uh, So hegemonic devices are the unseen processes within society that reproduce the way society is now. Typically, they're controlled by the people in power or the people that benefit from the systems. But it the one of the easiest examples I can give is up until Christmas of 2017, when you went into a Target store, there was one row of toys that was pink and said girls' toys above it. There was another aisle next to it that was blue and had GI Joes and trucks and said boys' toys. We didn't question it because those were what girls' toys and boys' toys were, but why? Who does that serve and what message does that does that help reinforce? So now when you go into Target, it just says toys. Um, so that's that's an example. Typically, things that are, are hegemonically reproduced seem inconsequential, especially to those people who benefit from the systems. So they are very often unexamined and unthought up. And there's an entire boatload of them that we do in physical education, if we get a chance to play with, we'll dig into.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. And again, if I ask questions, it's out of my ignorance because language is so important in this subject and it, it changes all the time. So I will be asking some follow-ups. And, and feel free, anybody
3: else to, that needs to add in or fix anything that I said at any point.
1: Um, this is a group effort. Love it. Kanidra, back. <laughs> we love having you. Fantastic. Tell us about yourself over there in your power position. <laughs>
4: So, good evening, everyone. My name is Kenedra, um, and I'm really glad to be here because this is professional development for me. I'm always humbled to learn from other people, and I am really big on becoming a better educator. So, my name is Kenedra, and I currently work as a health and physical education specialist for the Department of Defense Education Activity. And I have to put out there that I am not here in my official role because I work as a government employee. So the views that I represent today are my own.
1: (laughs) We'll put a disclaimer on the bottom (laughs) of the screen.
4: Um, But I'm always excited to talk about various topics as it relates to our content. And so I do work as a specialist and we serve military kids all across the world. Um, Three different regions, the Pacific, the Americas and Europe. So really a global perspective is what I really, really enjoy I am a Maryland educator. So I taught in Maryland, in Prince George's County Public Schools, Howard County Public Schools, and I got the awesome opportunity to serve Baltimore City Public Schools. So I have a range of, of experience, but really what got me into equity, diversity, inclusion, and social justice was as a teacher, seeing kids um, having some, some issues as students of color in our public school system. And that really fired me up. So I had to learn as much as I could so I could help serve children. So I've done some work with professional development, leading professional learning um, experiences for other educators, sessions, having conversations. I created a professional learning online um, module for PE Central. I can't teach it now because of my new position, but I was like, here, you can have it. Get somebody else to teach it. I just want people to have the content. So that's my experience.
1: Love it! Thank you for being here in an unofficial capacity. We we appreciate that. Liam, what's going on, sir? Did I say that right? I feel like I, I should make sure that I'm pronouncing names. No, properly. you got
5: it right. You got it right. All
1: right, Cash, okay. uh, tell us about right. hey, Just in
5: case y'all don't know, uh, I was uh, Justin might not even remember. I was his first guest on Beyond the Game. I know, it was four mm-hmm. years ago. So of that was pretty. I amazing. remember. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> that was, that was, was cool. It. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Um, I'm actually down in the dirty south in the state of Texas, so uh, west of Houston, a suburb called Katy. So Katy, Texas. Uh, I've been teaching for 12 years; eight of them have been in Title One low-income schools, and the last four is a little—I uh, mean, a little wealthier income range, but very international. Our schools that have a range of between 70 to 80 different languages. Um, so you know, today was a great opportunity that I have to not only just contribute but actually really learn from all of you more than anything else and just to see you know how people's mindsets are a little bit different from their not only their regions but their communities and how that can impact us and where we are so thanks for having me again guys
1: love it again bringing another voice to the crowd this is fantastic all right brett you've been waiting patiently tell us a little bit about yourself there sir
6: So it's uh, Brett Fuller. Uh, I am, my day job, I'm the curriculum specialist for health and physical education for Milwaukee Public Schools. I oversee all the health and physical education teachers for the district. Uh, It's about 150 teachers in 160 schools. We have, uh, we are, City of Milwaukee is considered one of the most segregated cities in the country. Uh, We have uh, the fourth lowest zip code uh, in the country is actually in our city, so there's a lot of disparities within our city and uh, worked in inner city schools for 27 years at this point and uh, the other uh, role I have right now is I have I'm the new president for shape America and uh, I've been on the board now for uh, three years before this as a board member and now I am uh, I'm a servant leader I'm here to serve and learn and try to find a way to support all of our teachers and who support all the kids in our country and I'm I'm Excited to be here also to learn. I've worked with uh, uh, Martha for many years. Matter of fact, she, uh, we joked back and forth because she applied for my job about 13 years ago. And, uh, and so um, uh, we've known each other for a long time. And, and so I'm excited to find out what, what else we can talk about tonight and how to make things better.
1: Fantastic. Fran's joining us. Fran, she is an OG of this show, We're there from the beginning. Fran, thank you for coming. Tell us about You're yourself.
7: Hi, I'm Francina Hollingsworth. I live in Houston, Texas. I teach middle school health and, well, foundations of fitness, which is high school credit PE. And I'm glad to be here tonight.
1: Love it. I'll do my introduction. I'm Justin. I stayed at a Holiday Inn once. So that means I have knowledge about everything. And that's all I bring to the
0: show. Um, Everybody's heard me too much. So no, I'm I'm Dave. I teach in Fort Myers, Florida, kindergarten to fifth grade. PE and I'm loving it and I'm loving this panel tonight. So again, I'm not going to talk a whole lot because I want to hear from all of you. I really do. And I'm excited for this. So it's all you, Justin. All right,
1: here we go. So the beginning, we talked about language, how important it is. So I'm going to throw out a term. Feel free as the panel, we're not going to be calling names. It's going to be more of a discussion for this part. Uh, I'll throw out the term. I'll give you the definition where it came from. And then you tell me, Uh, agree, disagree, what am I missing, Uh, anything you want, challenge it, anything, it's wide open. So the first one, oh, and before I get to that, just know students are being harmed in our schools right now. So when you're feeling attacked, if you are white and listening, if you are a man listening and any of those attacks come and you get defensive, like I'm sure I will at some part, uh, just remember, this is not an attack on you personally, it's an attack on us thinking and continuing the harm of students in our schools. So that always has to be first and foremost when we talk about this. And that's why I think all of us are passionate, Kenidra uh, talked about that earlier, once you recognize they're being harmed, you can't just sit by and watch it without doing something. So that's really the purpose here is to uh, minimize just, that.
3: Just really quick, with sure. the, just to help with the contextualization. So I heard, like, you know how you, you think you know a lot and then you hear something and you're like, oh, why didn't I think of that? So last week, somebody said to me this formula, try really, really hard not to offend people. Try twice as hard not to be offended. Mm. Um, and, and I say that not, not to our people of color who need to teach us more, and, but to, to my colleagues who look like me. Mm. Try not to be offended twice as hard as you try not to offend. So you stay in the conversation. So you work through the bumps because the language of it will always throw us off track. And it will alienate and separate. And that's not going to help us help the kids and not going to help us help ourselves be better people. So love it. Thank you. Back to you. Sorry. Love
1: it. Anytime. Just hop in, interrupt me for real. Pretend you all were men and you can interrupt and you can just jump in whenever you want. and Nobody cares. So here we have uh, first term racism. Uh, and this is from Dr. Kendi. Uh, he talks about the marriage of racist policies and racist ideas that produce and normalizes racial inequities. So that's for racism. I know there's also a couple other definitions. What are our thoughts? What do we have to say about racism?
2: I agree with that definition, but I'm sure many of you know that we can add layers to that definition. But um, I've always felt that racism is a disease of the soul. And one of the, um, it's, it's a a very exaggerated form of low self-esteem and inferiority, because if you are really superior and if you are really all of that, then I shouldn't have to oppress and suppress another human being, um, to make myself appear great. And so I do think it is a disease of the soul, and as with cancer, um, those d- diseases they mutate and they 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 infiltrate, and they they just become toxic and they grow um, unless they're treated. And so I think that it is an uh, like many cancers, they are difficult to um, treat and contain. Um, and identify sometimes. And so I think that um, it really speaks to the spirit or the lack thereof of um, a person or a group or an institution, um, including our government and practices and beliefs. And you, you don't have to be white to um, be infected or participants of um, the disease of the soul,
4: so I would say when I think of racism as a person of color, I think about it as an ism, like a system. And it and it is a system that works whether you work it. And that's what really gets me is that it doesn't matter if you try to fight the system. It's designed to continue working even when your eyes are closed. And that's really um, hard to really wrap your mind around because it's, it's like as natural in in our world is the air we breathe. And so for me, it's like, oh my gosh, even just be a regular person, just walking around being a human being, this system is so serious that it's just everywhere. It's present like air. And that's what really concerns me. One, like I said, as a person of color and as an educator, it's a system. It's designed to work. Even if you yourself are not creating the
1: system or pushing the system to work. So then is there a difference between racism for the individual and racism for the system? Are they the same thing?
3: I um, I would say that one is a byproduct of the other. Um, It it is the systems and the policies and the procedures and the history that have created the ideologies that we see manifest in people's bad behaviors. Um, But if we stop the conversation about racism as you said the wrong word or you called someone a name, we won't get to the fabric that underlines and creates the conditions to perpetuate that system. Um, So it has to be sort of that double-edged sword. We have to look deeply and critically at our history policies and our institutions that are uniquely designed to get the results they're getting. And how are the people that are in those behaving and acting and interacting? My thoughts.
6: And I, I want to go off with Canidra, and that built on there, too. For me, that particular definition I'm looking at, the most powerful word there for me was normalizes, and normalizes the racial, and that gets to the system that is happening there, because there are people who are participating in it who do not realize that they are participating in a, race, in a, in a racist or a system, I should say. So normalizing is the real part there, and we've got to call that out.
3: Yeah, and I would say that normalization, Brett, also builds off what Tara was saying about how it's normalized, not just in populations of people of pallor, but it is across the board. There are people contributing to this that are giving permission for other people to engage because, well, my friend who is X, Y or Z does that. So it must be OK. Um, but there's a lot of. The the first work in all of this is 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 yourself, wherever you stand, whatever your identities are, however they intersect, um, and to be crystally transparent with yourself about how you how you show up in the world, how your power is present some places, marginalized others, and absent in other places.
4: And I would also say that you have to remember that we're born into this system, and that you know kids aren't born racist. You know what I'm saying? So when you think about that, you think about the the ramifications of you learning a system at a very early age that you don't understand, but you you come to accept it because that's what you're taught. And I'll give you an example. I was in St. Croix on vacation two summers ago, and my friend and I were walking to the um the restaurant, the restaurant on, on the uh the resort, and a, a, a kid, he looked like he might have been ten started singing the theme song to the Lion King. Like we're walking and he goes, hi, damn ya. And I'm like, you know, and I'm I'm thinking, where did you learn that? And his family or whoever he was with, I'm assuming that was his family, started shushing him, like, stop, stop. And I'm thinking if you're teaching your kids these things at home, don't be surprised when it shows up in public and so as an educator it really is important to me to understand and for other people to understand that this system is so serious that you're born into it and you learn it and you may not understand what you're learning but it becomes something that you engage in
5: Nidra, i was going to that's exactly what i was going to say i was i was going to come to the point where it's a learned behavior and if you really look at a school setting especially with your kindergartners for me i like you can tell how much they Color to them doesn't really matter. They can't. It doesn't. They don't see that, you know. But as they are getting older into the primary, I mean, secondary grade levels, something's shifting. Something's changing in their mindset, you know. And it, it becomes a learning from a product of their environment. Where are they getting these ideas? And what makes one idea right, one idea wrong when it comes to racism? Um, and so, you know, when we have for us, we're fortunate where we see our kids grow. For for me, from K through five, I, you know, and I can tell you know, for me, with my bilingual kids, when I have them get in groups or partners, you know, are they going with the people they're most comfortable with and they look alike? Or are they willing to venture out a little bit? And, you know, and that doesn't matter to them. So, you know, for me with racism, it, it is a learned behavior. So when I think of that term, I'm like, you know, for me, the problem is, you know, when does that start? I, I mean, it, it varies from person to person, but. To me, it's the environment they are being raised in and what they are hearing and listening to. And for them, they may not know whether or not that is right or wrong unless they go out and willing to meet other people and actually have these kind of conversations.
1: And, Cash, I would say that they they see different colors, right? They know that the kids are different colors. They just don't care because that age, it doesn't matter. It's not a deciding factor in what's going on. All right. So now we're going to go to the next term on here, uh, which is racist. Right. The term racist. And that's a term as a white person like you could call me any name in a book. I don't care. You call me a racist. And for some reason, that's the one that gets me. That's that's the thing that strikes me. Uh, and for us, a couple things I would like to discuss. And again, you all can add on uh, or tell me I'm wrong here. But I think some of it is the binary of you are racist or you're not. Uh, how, how can we talk about that? And then the other question uh, I would like to talk about also is um, how do we talk about being an anti-racist versus not being an anti-racist and how do those uh, interact? So again, Dr. Kendi says uh, "Race racist, someone who supports a racist policy through their action or in inaction or is expressing a racist idea. So I know that was a lot thrown out there at once, There are entire books written about this stuff, but any ideas on A, um, anti-racist, and also B, uh, the idea of being called a racist?
3: So I'll throw out um, an article that I think is phenomenal. It's Ricky Lee Allen's article on being an anti-racist racist. racist. Um, As his positioning is, as as a white man from Appalachia, how he is racist by showing up in a room as a white man, but he is an anti-racist in that he openly understands his privilege, accepts his privilege and works to ensure that his privilege is not what he's leaning on, but that in fact, he is working to ensure that he himself. So it's not about he's opening doors for other people. It's not, he's not doing anything for someone because that in and of itself is a racist ideology. But he is he's aware of how he shows up in a room as a person of power, um, in, in, in and the, all of the accoutrement and privilege that comes with that. So it's a great read if anybody's interested in finding it.
4: Justin, you shared a video by Jay Smooth like two years ago, I think it was. I yeah,
1: love that video.
4: How to tell someone they sound racist. And I used that video to mm-hmm. a professional learning when I was teaching at the middle school. And it was like the room was quiet afterwards. And then, and I like short clips to get people's attention. And it was talking about how you address these kind of issues without addressing or attacking a person for who they are, but attacking the actual issue that's coming up. And to me, when I when I saw that, I was like, oh, this this is this is right right here. This is great because a lot of times we um, we get fired up. I know I do, and you want to say certain things, but I don't want you to lose the message. So I have to figure out how to convey what I want to say so that one, we can have an open, honest conversation. Two, you will take what I'm saying and actually apply it. And three, I'm hoping you'll come back to me and have more discussion. And I'll give you an example because I like to use examples. I think it was after, I don't know if it was after I saw your video or before, but I had a situation at the middle school where my colleague said to a group of black boys, Hey, you all need to stop standing around. Like you're standing on the street corner. And, I, and you know, right away, I thought, OK, whoa, this is not right. I wanted to go in. I really did. But I had to reflect and think about it and pull back. And so I approached him when the kids were gone. First of all, I had to think about it because in my mind, I was thinking I am a PE teacher. I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to educate him on all of this. But as I thought about it, I was like, you have to say something because you have to nip it so it doesn't continue. And so he understands that it's wrong. So I had to like I had an internal struggle because I didn't want to say anything because I was like, this is not my job, but it is. So I pulled him aside and I said, hey, you know, I explained to him why it was inappropriate, what the action was and what was said. But I didn't call him a racist. And to me, it takes a lot of internal. um, I don't know what the word is, but it it, like strength, I guess. And um, restraint. To really explain these things in a way that you get the message across without attacking the person and putting up a barrier so the conversation can't continue.
6: So, I guess I get that, that gets to kind of the point there because, you know, this particular definition does make me uncomfortable because part of the thing is, I think that we, especially we as white, white people, have grown up in the system and we might end up doing something that is racist but not realize it at that point um it's for me the the when I think of race is someone who who is who's been shown what they have uh what they're doing and then they still continue to do that and that and that's that's why I think the term can hurt so much sometimes because you know if you're honestly trying to Address the concerns like you were talking about. Uh, you know, you don't see yourself as a racist, but I do think that we do racist things and we've got to be called out for it. And then we've got to internalize and say, okay, uh, and learn from that at that point.
1: Yeah. So I think uh, another point that Jay made in that video that Kanisha was talking about is if we get into the debate of whether you're a racist or not, there's so much wiggle room well, I helped a black person across the street last week. I can't be racist. Right, I'm, no, we're not having that conversation. Now we can talk about your action. That action was racist. And Brett, like you said, we're all going to do some action that is racist at some point. Uh, hopefully less, you know, not so often, but we're going to do it. So the idea is if we already know that, then we go, okay, how am I critically looking at my actions? And do I have anyone else that's critically looking at my actions that could tell me? So Kennedy stepping up is actually doing me a favor on there. If we go back to harming the students, now I'm not going to harm another group of students. I can't do much about the harm I already did. I can try to repair it. We can talk about the different ways of there. But now I know I won't do that same mistake again.
3: Uh, mm-hmm. No, but it also, it also is around intent. So we live in a racialized world. So I show up in my classroom as the only person, the only white person in a room of black folk, that's a racialized experience how I choose to navigate that is racist or not racist but but it is also so hard because my mere showing up is a racist act I have privilege to come into your space did you have privilege to come into mine so 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 yes and through all of this Um, and that's why humor humility forgiveness um, have got to be in play. by Why this is all relational? Um, because we w- we will forgive friends for transgressions. We will never forgive strangers for, um, and frenemies will never ever recover from slights or simply showing up in a room. Um, so, so I think yes. Again, yes. And you know, it. This is this is big, and because our our country and especially now is very very racialized. Um. They're, they're, we have to look at intent
1: as well. What are we doing every single day? And that's one of the things from Dr. Kendi and clear to air and Val and everything else I've I've learned is every day asking myself at the end of the night, that question, what did I do? That was anti-racist today. And I think that is something that we have to think about of if you're not being anti-racist and not working towards that. Cause again, it's not a pinnacle that we can just get to and put our flag down. Then, um, we're probably harming students. We're probably harming other people in there. And I think Tara talked before about how the system has changed, right? A cancer disease has changed. We had the explicit racism. And then, you know, 1960s came down. We had to hide it a little more than the 80s, 90s. Now we have to super hide it and code it really, really well. And I think in there, we have to be especially aware and intentional on the idea of how we could be anti-racist. Any other thoughts on this before we move on?
3: Just well, one more. Oh, go ahead, Tara.
2: <laughs> well, I don't. I don't want to put Justin on blast, but me. these are just Jeez. things that happen to me on a on a regular basis, and I think even Kanidra sharing how she has to like really think about um, how she's going to craft a response probably has a lot to do with her being a black woman and wanting to be heard, wanting to be respected, wanting um, to not come across as the angry black woman and, and a host of other factors. But um, I felt a little dean when um, you were like, oh, we have a doctor in the house, Martha. And I'm like, okay, well, you actually have two, at least two. But so these are things that are very common where I have students who white male professor doesn't have a doctor, Dr. So-and-so is automatic, but I miss or misses. Um, And so these are just those things that occur on a regular basis. And so I was, I was actually kind of taken aback. um, And And Kenedra, you know me, the title doesn't matter, but it's just like little things like that, where it's, it's automatically a default where um, white people are seen as, you know, these experts, they're the doctor. It's all, it's automatic. And we often have to prove ourselves to um, get the same respect or the same treatment. So I just wanted to. Um, I mean, because if you're anti-racist, you will call that out. And um, it's happened to me at Towson. And fortunately, I had college. Like, did you see that? Did you hear that? Or um doesn't happen often over there. Uh, <laughs> but um so it's just those little things that imagine hearing something like that 10, 10, 20, 100 times a day, where you see that other people are not um or they're giving a different, they're giving respect, I should say. Um, So I just want to do that. Sometimes you just, and I know that wasn't intentional. I know that wasn't like- You don't have
1: to apologize. Please don't walk back on that. (laughs) Be honest, you you were upset and that's legitimate. And again, that happens once, right? So there, again, I would repair the harm, right? My apologies. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry for that. And that's all I could do, because again, and then if I'm serious about Uh, doing this work and repairing relationships in there that I will look at there and go, well, why didn't I know that, right? Did I not do my research? What what was the problem there? And take it on me. So please, again, my apologies and don't walk back on that. That's that's a a fault of mine.
2: We don't see people like that. I mean, I've had it where at Towson, unfortunately, most of the black professors or faculty are either adjunct or clinical, um, and tenure track, you know, we have this hierarchy is the coveted position where, where it's the automatic default. Oh, you're black woman. You're probably on the clinical track or you're probably adjunct. It's not even a, but a white male, your tenure, your tenure track, even if he's not. And so it's just these things that, You know, it's tough. And I've been removed from this being overseas and two nations of color to the point my dad said, in quotes, you do realize you're back in America. My dad, because Egypt, they're brown people, no issue. Thailand, they're brown people, no issue. Um, But I come to my home country and I'm treated with less respect than I am being a foreigner um, somewhere else. And that's been a big challenge for me um, upon my return.
1: All right. There was the, the first for me, extremely uncomfortable moment. I appreciate that, doctor. I, uh, I want to
7: piggyback you back real quick, Justin. Sure. Um, just real quick two things um i actually went to school overseas for a little while in my uh lower grade so i actually went to uh, school international school in uh indonesia pakistan and yemen so just to uh kind of give uh feedback on being a younger black American. When I was living overseas, there was a sense of freedom that I didn't feel here in America. Um, People didn't look at me as a black American. They looked at me as an American. And that's all, oh, you are American. So you got clout. When I moved back here, um, uh, my ninth grade year, the weight, of being a black American came back on me. Um, you know, um, being in a rural, back in rural Louisiana, being like judged for being black, it all came back. So it's like, I had to reacclimate myself in my home country because um, I did I didn't have to worry about my color in other countries. It was, you know, you got treated like, you know, high class, no matter how fat your pocket is, because you were American. But in your own country, you're uh, degraded just because of the color of your skin. No matter your intelligence, no matter your... uh, social economic level it, it it didn't matter. Um so moving forward as a um a, as an adult when I moved to Texas I'm 4 hours away from my hometown. Um I didn't realize I was doing this until Sandra Bland passed away. So um and if you guys don't know who Sandra Bland is she's a young African American that um was arrested for a, uh, well, was stopped for a traffic stop, uh, had uh, words with the police officer. He arrested her and um, she died in police custody. They say she hung herself uh, while in police custody. You know, there's a lot of speculation about that. But anyway, I have rest stops that I know is safe for me to go to, or that I deem safe. So if something happens to me on the road, then I know, okay, I could go to this house. Okay, this this area seems safe. I've seen black people at this store. If it's not like, you know, McDonald's or a, a town, you know, it was one of those things that I didn't think about until this event happened, then I realized that I have certain areas that I subconsciously deem safe to myself just traveling in my own country.
3: So th- this is amazing. And this is the kind of conversation I think we all have to lean into, um, comfortable or uncomfortable. And so my, my, my default as a white woman be to apologize to Tara for not standing up for her. I'm not going to do that because I think that white apologies and apologetic white folk is not helpful to the conversation either. Um, But it is an example of how relation matters. So Justin has introduced me as, is there a doctor in the house? There's a doctor in the house every podcast. Um, So 100% the way that reads, because there is, and there may be underneath. So that that just just to say um, that that this in and of itself is a really beautiful example of the courage it takes to stand up and say hey that was hella fucked up pardon my French you can't do that in a podcast I'm sure that was I'm sorry let me redo that that was hella messed up <laughs> um, but but about staying in the conversation about you know I mean Justin needed to take a break and take a minute and, and but but it was just second um, and so when Justin. And I first began this, when Justin first began this journey with me, uh, What, like 2014, 2015, um, I came up with the idea of the hashtag of imperfect ally. So you're an ally, you're two feet on the ground, ready to do it, and you're going to screw it up so much more often than you're going to do it right. And that's exhausting for the people that have to point out those failures, but, you ha- but we have Everybody has to keep pointing them out to each other, but find a loving, gentle, relational way to do it. Um, Because the six of us, nine of us, I can't count, yeah, nine of us that are on here, we're going to keep this conversation going because we're not worried about the woke wars for who knows more than somebody else. We're not playing oppression Olympics for who's got it worse than other people. We're simply saying, this is how this landed with me. It's not okay. Justin says, oh, you're right. It's not okay. I get that. I can step up and say, I acknowledge that I did not step up publicly and handle that. And in that, there's some really beautiful healing that can happen as a model for other people to staying invested and staying engaged. And I truly you know, believe that's the only way we're going to make any kind of ripple in this for
4: the kids that it needs to be rippled for. And I will also add two things. Um, one, I saw a meme on Instagram and it said, don't you get tired of talking about racism and the response was, don't, don't you think I get tired of experiencing it? You know, so that's something to think about. And the second thing I'll say is that eventually we always get to the conversation about, well, what do we do? Or how do we train pre-service teachers? Or how do we train educators in the field? We show them things like this and we have conversations. We practice these things. This is not something that you just all of a sudden know how to do. You've got to have converse you got to practice it. Like we practice fitness skills and locomotor move. We practice that. You have to practice this too. Because when you're in the moment and you're trying to have these conversations, you may not have that in your toolbox to draw on. So you've got to practice it and make it normal practice so that when it does come up, you feel more comfortable addressing it.
5: I wanted to just ask two questions real quick. And I'm sorry. I apologize for my ignorance beforehand, but first one's to Martha and the second one's for Tara and Francina. Um, for Martha, you had mentioned earlier when Justin posed the question about uh, racism, a racist or an anti-racist, you, you, and I'm just thinking about viewers who may be watching this who might have thought uh, when you came into a classroom full of African-Americans, you, you, for you that you thought that was racist or for them, you invaded their space and then you also thought they might've been invading your space. So I wanted you, I just to clarify why you thought that um, and why, so the viewers may have a better understanding how you came up to that uh, reasoning. And then question two, after you answer that, Martha, um, Tara and Francina is your experience in the other countries, why do you think you were treated differently in those countries compared to what's happening right now in the United States? You know, so we can get a better understanding. What are they doing differently or what, how is their environment and society different that we're not doing in the United States of America that you guys felt that way? So I'll let Martha, sorry, and I'll let Martha answer yeah. first and I'll let you all answer second just to pose the question no, in that right order.
3: Yeah, no, Cash, those are great questions and, and especially for the opportunity to clarify, because um, oftentimes I speak in a way that I miss steps. Uh, what I meant by, by being a racist expression was where, where Tara can say when she comes into cl- campus on into classroom at a PWI, a predominantly white institution, the assumption is that she only sort of belongs. She's an adjunct professor or she's, I can bring my, my, my full associate professorship into a classroom on a historically black college campus and expect to be welcomed. And that is, that, that is not me being racist, but it is an expression of a racialized experience <clears throat> that, that shows my power. Because the other piece that we have to understand about institutional racism, or that I hope people learn to understand, is that, yes, so I'm, I'm in my classroom in Vanneker Hall in front of my 60 students. If there's a fire, the implicit bias of the firefighters will pull me out first. So even though we're all there as equals, we're also not because of the ideology and the policies that are present in the laws in our country. So, so I, was, I was trying to get to that. And if I missed it or if I'm still missing it, um, I'm happy to dig deeper, um, but I don't want to monopolize the microphone because that's you know also a racialized piece. Okay, well,
7: um, for my part, I was um, overseas in the 80s, so at the time, um, my family was viewed as African first, but then when they realized we were American, um, at that time, they held Americans at a higher standard, so when they found out we were Americans, you know, they viewed us at this higher standard because Americans were, you know... The, uh, I'm trying not to cuss, but, you know, popped <laughs> out at the, at the time, you know, everybody looked at us, uh, at the time, um, to be the head, hunchos of everything. So, um, and then they were astonished because they didn't realize there were Black Americans there. So, you know, a lot of countries, uh, me, like Middle East, uh, probably uh, got a taste of uh, a lot of African-Americans when the Gulf War
2: happened. And I'll pick up on what Francina um, just shared. I think the American passport, I mean, if we look at history, many black Americans left um, and moved to Europe to um, have a better life. Um, I do think the hue of mine and my children's, our skin um, was certainly a benefit and Mm -hmm like Francina they assume you're from the continent somewhere and when I would cover my hair which was optional they thought I was Egyptian so um you can blend in and you're just you 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 don't have to deal with racism period um was there colorism in some in some places yes which is still that white supremacy um infiltrating nations of color but um when you're removed from that from seven years and you come back to the United States, it is, um, very, um, it's illuminated and, and you, it it really takes you back. You have to really like, whoa. And I'm a vocal person. I'm older. And I'm I'm at a stage in my life where, and I've always been this way, but I'm really not going to put up with a lot of things. Um, and so I, I feel that I am meant to be in this space to speak up. Um, many assistant professors, they're, traditionally, they're a lot younger than I am. And they, there's a fear element um, because they're so worried about, you know, I've had a career before Towson. I'll have a career after Towson. And so um, I think I'm in a good position to write papers like hashtag shapes of white, um, and use my cultural privilege, um, an academic privilege to some degree to, and w- with the fearless, um, attitude to hopefully bring change, not only to PE, but in this country as a whole. So I think to get to your question, skin tone, um, passport, and they had other issues to worry about, then I'm better than you because of some arbitrary um,
1: characteristic. Uh, Real quick, can you tell us what colorism is, please?
2: Colorism is a phenomenon that was actually created, at least in the U.S., through enslavement, um, where white slave masters would have Will rape most of them. Will rape um, enslaved African women. They would have biracial children, and the lighter hue, they got more privileges. They would be in the house. They often were. They they were they were abused less, and so it created this um, colorism effect where the darker the hue, the the more negative. Um, and and unfortunately, in many. Um, Nations of color in the U.S. and Africa and Asia, I've seen it all over, bleaching creams and where white is still the model. White is still right. White is still beautiful because it's plastered on every shape, form of media that you can think of. Things have gotten a little bit better, but even if you look at the the megastars, Black megastars, they tend to have more European or European like features. Beyonce wears her gold hair. She has this long straight hair to her butt. Many years ago, I'm not sure if you all familiar with um Terrence Trent Darby. Is anybody yeah. there? And <laughs> brilliant, but he he made a comment about Michael Jackson and Prince, mm-hmm. and he said, they are megastars because they have basically de-Africanized themselves. They are looking more like Europeans, and that's the only way in America that you can be a megastar if you deny your Africanity, something to that effect. And although he was light-skinned, his hair was definitely African. And so um, that that colorism is just another layer of white supremacy, of racism um, that has taught and conditioned people of color to hate themselves, um, because this is the message that has been given and and passed down. And even today, lighter skinned Black people get more um, opportunities for jobs. If you look at our political um, candidates, um, Booker, Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, all of these people are lighter hue and or of mixed race. And so they, they oh, I, no doubt that they're smart, but a super dark person in the White House probably won't happen in my lifetime, meaning president. So we still have these underlying layers of racism and white supremacy
3: within um, communities of color. Justin, can I, I throw out a question to the group? Sure. So based based on this idea of colorism, this is is something I've been working on fleshing out lately and I would love your input and ideas. The intersection of physical activity promotion and colorism, you're outside more, your melanin reacts to the sun. Um, So there's some pieces that I think that are prohibitive from people of color joining this profession and people of color, if we look at the academic disparities and the health disparities that are parallel, um I've been trying to contextualize it lately around our p- problematic relationship with labor, but i but there's a colorism lens to this so so thinking about physical education to pull it back to shape, shape so white, the impact of colorism on participation in physical education, support of physical education, recruitment and retention of teachers from a diverse background. anybody have any thoughts on that Martha, great points
2: um The same colorism was in Egypt. It was in Thailand as well, where workers who worked outside, they covered more. Um, There were bleaching creams in almost every product, soap, deodorant, like I had to really read. Um, But I think one of the things that we can do, anybody, is affirm. Black, brown children need to be affirmed for aesthetics beyond you're a great athlete. You're beautiful. I like your skin. My, my partner, he makes, he is every black woman with natural hair. He gives them a compliment and these children need these affirmations that they are beautiful just the way that they are. Those messages are very powerful because, Kanedra, you know this is true in many black communities. Oh, don't bring your nappy head itself in here. You need to straighten that hair because they have been conditioned to not like our natural, beautiful hair. And so-
3: and What's small, up in the kitchen? What's going on in the kitchen?
2: So, <laughs> so, the small things, I mean, it, it really doesn't take a lot Um, I'm a PE teacher because of my white female high school PE teacher who said, and I had phenomenal PE teachers, my elementary, Mr. K. Awesome. She said, and I wasn't even thinking about teaching or coaching. She said, you're going to be a good coach. I'm like in 10th or 11th grade thinking, what does Dawn Indish know? right?" And so, but, Those little snapshots of somebody affirming what you're good at or that you are beautiful. People think, oh, that's so superficial. No, it's actually very important, especially if they aren't getting those messages at home. And so I think those are some, you know, when I went natural, my hair was straightened from age 12 to 20. I'm in college, a white man. I was working. He comes to me. He says, your hair is beautiful. I said, thank you. He says, don't change it. That's what he told me. So I think just, just affirming children for who they are um, can start to um, dismantle some of those elements of white supremacy that have that are you know intertwined um, in, in many communities of color. And so I think affirmation, I think, is critical for all students, but certainly students of color.
4: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I had the opportunity to work with um, Pete Charette to design some posters around diversity um, because I didn't see a whole lot. And so I think when we see that there's a deficit, speaking up and saying, okay, there's a need for something. Let me see who can who I can work with. I mean, our, one of the best things I think about the physical education, health education community is that we are so collaborative. There is no, I can always Twitter or tweet somebody, message someone, text someone, somebody will meet me somewhere to talk about various things as it relates to our content. So whenever we think about, um, like Tara said, affirmations and things like that, where what are we missing? And who can we collaborate with to make those things available in our schools. As a woman of color, when I see women who look like me, when I see images that look like me, that affirms me. So just putting up posters and whatever in your classroom or in your teaching space is also a way to affirm. Like this this is normal, not what you are seeing on television. So making your classroom a space that is inviting by what you, what you choose to put on the wall that also because when we're, we're talking about pre-service teachers sometimes and teaching them how to create their spaces for kids what you put out there also when I walk into your teaching space or when I walk into a teaching space do I feel like I belong here and how do you create that so I would agree with that definitely affirming kids verbally and also how you choose to set up your teaching space is also a part of that.
6: well and I want to I want to thank uh, uh Tara Kanita for bringing this up because I remember when I was teaching so 27 years in MPS the first 14 I was at uh, was a physical education teacher not the administrator and I spent most of my career at a high school and I didn't get colorism and and now that again he, hearing it here hearing it now the way it's being described this is going to help me when I'm talking with my teachers and saying what we what we should be doing and how we can address some of these things because I remember students talking and saying they don't want to go outside to do the tennis unit or softball unit because they're going to be out in the sun and they don't. And it, I, I can still sit here, remember not quite getting that. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's another example of how much we still have to learn. And so thank you very much. This is, it's a fantastic conversation. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I think colorism and adultification are two things we really need to understand more, uh, which we don't. All Uh right. But I have to be respectful of everyone's time, and I really brought uh, Dr. Tara here to talk about her article in her full capacity. So I'm not going to say anything else. Can you tell us everything you need the listeners to know about your article uh, over there? And then after she gets done, Brett, I would really like to hear from your part, what is Shape America doing? because I think your PR team is a little weak in certain areas when it comes to EDI, because if somebody asks me right now, I have no clue. So really this is what uh, got us here. So Tara, can you tell us about the paper, what it's about and everything we need to know, please.
2: Okay. Well, having repatriated home, um, I was actually joking with Dylan Landy. We were at work and we were looking through, I guess it was the, 20 I don't know 2017 and we were like we were like hashtag shape so white because all of the teachers of the year were white and so I went on shapes um website and I saw that the list of names was there for many of the teachers of the year and having having been gone um almost the entire um presidency of Barack Obama, I thought there's got to be some black or brown teachers of the year. So I went back from 2008 until 2018, an 11-year span, thinking, okay, got to have some black teachers of the year. And I was aware that we had some Maryland teachers of the year, including Canidra. And I was I was shocked. I thought we would have maybe five or six or seven And as I kept getting confirmations from the past teachers of the year, most were white. Um, All but one were white. And the Samoan teacher of the year, she didn't, she just picked the ethnicity. Um, So that's how I described her in the paper. Um, And so it started to get me thinking. I was having my own challenges at Towson University um, throughout my teaching career in the United States, um, students would say, you don't look like a PE teacher. And I'm like, what does a PE teacher look like? Right. Um, and so it just, it just started to, um, it made me feel a certain type of way for lack of a better explanation. And so I was digging, doing the research, looking at the, the teacher data And I said, "Well, there should be, you know, some teachers of color." So when I found that there weren't any, I started to delve into the criteria, um, which, as I described in the in my article, was very linear, and it is not how many um, Black teachers define good teaching, Um, and it's also in the literature. And I'll give you an example. I taught in Raleigh, North Carolina. at, well, I taught in many schools, but in this particular school, multiracial, but in a Black neighborhood, it was predominantly Black, but it was a charter school, so we a magnet school, so we attracted other um, students around the county. And I said, I'm, I'm out of here after whatever. And in quotes, the student said to me, you're not leaving because you love the Black kids too much. what the student told me. And so unfortunately I did leave, but that statement stayed with me because I was the one opportunity we had, I was the, I was the only black female physical educator out of 11 physical education teachers. And so here was this one opportunity that they actually got to see a black female physical educator, give a damn. And I think about my research has come from my students, um, those experiences and there just must be another way to increase um, not only teachers in the classroom or PE teachers, but how can we identify and acknowledge students who, teachers who are doing great work, exceptional work in, in in physical education. And so that was the, I guess, the, the premise of doing the inquiry. And there are a lot of things that can be done. And so I think I, I still stand by my shape is a racist system, just the organizational structure um, from the criteria to the, the selection, to the board, to the Um, to the non-response before the paper. Now, I will say post-publication, SHAPE has reached out. Um, They've consulted me with different, but I try to do these things before the paper. And so that's, it's a little bothersome because, you know, is it damage control or are you really trying to make change? So, I know I may sound like I'm going, you know, but there is a lot in that paper, as many of you are aware. And but I think it's a first step. And I do appreciate um, Shape America leaders for reaching out more on more than one occasion. I actually meet with them next week um, to discuss some things that may be instrumental in changing the dynamic and I must say, I was very disappointed when I saw the 2020 Teachers of the Year that just came out maybe a week or two after my paper. And although we have more male um, Teachers of the Year, um, they're still all white. And so there is some type of, and there are some phenomenal Black physical educators. I've seen them. I've observed them. I know them. So there is some a disconnect with the criteria, which is, um, according to my research, my experiences are um, they, they don't um, it's more of a popularity contest for some, not all, but for some. And how can we change that entire platform to recognize black physical educators so that all children can see that there's just not one prototype of what a physical education teacher looks
1: like? So for the facts before, Brett, I know you want to talk. I mean, for the facts in there, you talk about it's an all-white squad that, that chooses the people. So that's going to be an issue. And out of 167 people that responded, 165 were non-Hispanic white. One was Hispanic white, one Samoan, like you talk about. Those are the numbers. Those are the facts. So this is not someone's opinion. It's not someone, like, going out on a list. This is what you saw. And by the state organizations, it's a problem by default because the nationals come from the states. And I've had this conversation with the executive board of New Jersey, Aford as well of what are we gonna do after your paper came out? Like here, you gave me the ammunition to say, here it is, what are we doing? Uh, Brett, what are your ideas going on?
6: Well, uh, first off, I, <sighs> I, I really want to thank Tara for br- uh, bringing this to light again. It was really interesting. Uh, and, and thank you for mentioning that right there. Cause I, we have to own what we're doing it, it just, and, and we have to control what we can control. And I don't ever want to uh, say that we're blaming something else because yeah, again, the States provide candidates to the district, the district then moves them up to the nationals, but there are still, policies and procedures that are in place that we have to take a a better look at. So what have we been doing? Um, And this is a perfect example, I think what you said earlier, Justin, about uh, the PR and not knowing what's going on. Um, Judy Lobianco, uh, when she was president, uh, put forward to have a task force. uh, And I was really excited that that we voted on uh, uh, and put a task force in place about a year and a half ago. Uh, And then the job of that task force was to look at our policies and procedures and make recommendations. Kendra is actually part of that task force and and, I'm really excited to have her so she can back me up on anything that I may have missed (laughs) because um, while I am on that task force, I unfortunately missed uh, because of my other duties uh, with my school district, missed many of the meetings. Uh, But the task force is really important to myself and to the senior, uh, senior staff within Shape America, uh, we recognized a long time ago that there's, there's a problem. And we need to address it. And this is the route we're going to go. And I got to have to say, I have to also give props to Martha because she has been part of the uh, special interest group around um, equity, diversity, inclusion for years. And we actually had a conversation about a year and a half ago. I was telling her how excited I was about the task force. And she very bluntly reminded me of all the work that they had been doing and recommendations they had been making. So there's been a lot of work and behind the scenes for people saying say we need to make a change. I actually think we are finally at the point where we're going to, Start seeing some changes. The work that has been done by the um, by the task force included reviewing the nomination processes, completely making recommendations, and we accepted all the rep, uh, recommendations for uh, nominations for positions uh, with the board of directors. And so those were all were put into place uh, for uh, for this last election, um, and then. Uh, the recommendations though came out after we had already started our processes for this year's toys, uh, teacher of the years. So those are going to be going in place for next year. And that includes completely revamping how the districts are going to uh, toys are going to be selected and including looking at how the, uh, the nominations committee is, uh, is put in uh, is created. And um, and there's other steps involved in it, and we accept, we accepted every one of the uh, task force's recommendations in those cases. So we are moving. Uh, there's some of us who want us to move faster. I think we it's well beyond time. I think that we need to to make bigger changes. Uh, Justin, you and I have had the conversation in Boxer about how quickly or how slowly Shape America sometimes moves, and um, and I can't disagree with you on that. So I'm I'm really happy um, that, uh, that Dr. Blackshear's article came out. When it, we heard it was coming out, uh, someone sent an email from, that came from Dylan, and then we got copies of it, and I read through it right away that night and then uh, contacted uh, the executive committee, and uh, they wanted to know my, my initial reaction. I said, I, I'm not going to give you my initial reaction right now. I need time to process because it's an in-your-face expose on what is not working right right now. And, but we are trying to address it. And that's, that's my biggest point. We, we are uh, really trying to move forward and make changes. Because uh, there's, there's really nothing that I could argue within the article. Everything, there could be some nitpicking here and there uh, that someone could sit and argue. But, you know, if you look at overall, there was nothing we could argue about it. We have not had enough people of color receiving awards that are probably, you know, I shouldn't say probably, that are deserving. Um, they're not even getting far enough to be selected in some cases, and so we've had a lot of work to do. But I think we're on the right track, and we're going to keep on moving forward. That's that's one of the things I wanted to also mention. Is that we just passed right right around the time uh, before. Uh, the article came out, we passed our new strategic direction. It's a three-year strategic direction. And one of the three points of the strategic direction is to continue focusing on equity, diversity, and inclusion. And so that is supposed to be infused in a discussion in everything that we do. We are supposed to be using it as a lens from every, from every decision made by the board on down through the, the association. So that is the commitment by the board. Uh, we are 100% behind making these changes uh, because we need to be representative of our community. And uh, and we're not doing that right now. We're not doing a good enough job there. So we're going to get better.
2: Thank you, Brett. I, I really appreciate that.
1: I would say um, so, for, for SHAPE, and then Martha, I'll let you go because I know you have a long history with SHAPE America in this. Um, I would say for you, uh, that sounded fantastic and I love it. And I would say, let's see the actions. So. For Shape America, how are you putting it out there? Like when something does occur that's a change, when things are going well, when you're using critical race theory to look at things, um, where are the changes? So have somebody, I don't know who, I don't know how, but tell us, show us what's going on. Uh, Because I think Dr. Martha is going to talk a lot about, we kind of knew, Shape America is known for a little while, and I want to say a long while, and done nothing. So I think people want to see the members want to see what are we doing? Uh, Martha?
6: Well, let me just stop Since you called it real yeah. quick there, Justin, those, specifically I think part of it is uh, we're cleaning up uh, and, and to make it look better. The actual strategic direction is going to be coming out, and that's going to be one of the first steps. You're going to see EDI mentioned in there multiple times. So, I mean, that's, that's the first step. And, again, I want to be clear here. This is not just talk. We are going to work on it, and we've already put some things in place that I'd love to have Kanidra talk a little bit about uh, after Martha, a little bit about. Uh, her experience, and I'm hoping it's positive, <laughs> on the uh, on the uh, the task force, because I think that work is the key to making any change that we're going uh, that we're, as we move forward on this.
3: One of the things that's fascinating about this work is the shiny distraction over here that people do. And Brett, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate your work. I appreciate Stephanie's leadership, but the task force is something shiny over here. Because as soon as a group has been able to get any traction in shape, they have been disbanded, marginalized, overlooked, and another has been put in. So just really quick um, history. In my limited time, I've been an active SHAPE member since 1992, when I served as a student member on the board of directors. Um, So I've been around a long time. In I want to say it was like 2008, 2009, when Dr. Brooks was president as the African-American president of the, of the Alliance. He was president and part of his, his platform was unifying AFERT before we, before we realigned. There was a gigantic pers- perspective um, of the people of color. They wanted to leave and create their own professional organization because they were so marginalized by AFERT. There was a, a very, very active social justice and diversity committee within NASPI And within AFERT, those two groups came together and said, we want to be one. Then unification happened and SHAPE became one, and they were relegated to a significant interest group. Instead of what both groups said, they wanted a position on the board of directors. They wanted a standing committee. And it was, oh, no, 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 be a SIG, be a SIG, be a SIG. So we got this SIG together. Well, the SIG wasn't enough, now we need a task force. Because if we, di- if we disperse power enough that's trying to make this happen, then nothing happens, right? And you get people who have been invested in this work for their entire career, people who are you know, 20, 30 years more into this career than I am, have been in shape and in AFERD and are frustrated because it continues to happen. And it continues to happen by by dividing by by separating by, and then we have things that come out like the star system for star schools. I don't know if if people I was if people remember the star schools movement. That was all about privilege and how much money your school had. Toy, absolutely. It's actually in much more than your teaching ability. It's how many committees have you had the privilege of serving on in your state or or regional organization, which is about how much funding does your school have or how much time can you afford to put in? Those inherently rip people off, off. And then now we have Health Moves Minds. Another what doesn't say anything about how, doesn't say anything about who, doesn't say anything by whom or for whom. So we, the task force is great, but it's a distraction from the work the SIG was doing which was a distraction from the committee that was in place, Um, three, four or five years ago, the SIG put forth some really specific recommendations to the board of directors, adopt a decision-making lens that included equity pieces, review the toy process and reinstate girls and women in sport. Because one of the things this profession did better than anyone else was accept non-binary embrace Folks um, from LGBTQ communities understand that women were powerful, yet all of these things continue to marginalize voices. Um, so so yes, it's great we have the task force. Yes, it's great the task force is making some headway. And you see a whole lot of people who are not invested in the task force because they've been so beaten up along the way. And then we come out with Health Moves Minds, which is yet another what? What? Not how, not who, not for whom. So, so this is this is long and longer than any of us have been around. Um, but but it, it's a problem that's going to keep getting in our way unless we continue to do things like this and hold leadership bitterly accountable.
1: And again, I didn't hear anything in there that said uh, we're against Shape America, or you should not be not a Shape all. America member, or we don't support Shape America. Uh, I think because we love Shape America and we want to see a stronger organization, these are the things that need to change to keep us there. Uh, and I think, again, history, love that you were able to say that. And uh, can you yeah, turn-
3: it, it, I think it was 2009 we did a panel of contributions to the Alliance of African-Americans. And I was there were 35 of us that were on that that session planning committee. And I was the only person of power on that committee. So we were able to get that many folks that were that invested in shape America. And frankly, the representation is just not there anymore. And I think in a, in, in great part due to pitting people against each other by a committee versus a task force versus a SIG versus a mm, versus urban versus. So, so I, I pushed really hard. They wanted to do a SIG on urban education. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Social justice and diversity, it it is one SIG. It is not six SIGs so that we minimize the power of anyone to do anything. So, sorry. I get really amped up on this Mm -hmm. because I've been doing it for a long time and angry. So I'm very grateful for Tara's article Mm -hmm. um, because she can say things in a way, in the same way I can show up for white teachers to talk about bias in a way that's non-threatening. She can show up with shapes of white in a way that I can't. So, it take. It's going to take all of us,
1: Anitra.
4: I think that's that's it. It's going to take all of us. So when I got to be a part of the task force, I did not have the history that Martha just talked about. And so two years, I think it was two or three years ago, I was talking to Justin about doing a podcast on equity, diversity, and inclusion, and getting that off the ground. And Justin was like, "Sure, I support you. What do you need to do?" And he would send me messages periodically. Hey, what's going on with the podcast? So I brought it to the task force and they they gave me 100% support. And so I started thinking about who should be on the podcast and who I should interview. And I reached out to Martha and several other people. And that's when I found out even more that she had been doing this for however many years. So none of this is new. But I do think there needs to be a serious effort to unite all the different efforts. And I think that's missing because... I I have one of the things I do or reflect on is when I say, oh, this needs to change or something needs to happen. I then identify what am I willing to do, sacrifice, give up to contribute to that change. So, of course, I'll join a podcast or I'll join a um, task force to help, even if that means, you know, being up late or whatever it is, because I'm not the type of person to say, oh, you need to fix it. And then I don't participate in fix. But when you have so many different things going on at once, it's hard to focus on what needs to get done. So for me, I I really enjoy being a part of the task force, but I do agree that the history needs to be brought into play and the the people who were there before who've been doing this for a long time can say, hey, this is what we did. Here are the recommendations that we made so we don't keep reinventing this. And I think that is huge. And you don't necessarily know that when people invite you because I haven't been in Shape America for so many years. I think I've been in there for four years. So I have a limited view based on the time I've been there. Um, So I think that there definitely needs to be some conversation about unifying the efforts. I know that we have a meeting coming up. I know that we're going to be discussing Shape So White. We've all been given a copy of it. I started reading it and making comments for myself. And one of the things that um, came up for me was when Tara talked about well, in schools, if you as a student of color have a negative experience, that impacts you for your educational life. So why would you want to go and be a PE teacher? If I've had negative experiences with the system, am i going to want to actually come out and be a teacher um, who gives back to that system, that may be the case, it may not. I think we have to look at this system of Shape America and everybody's part in it. So you've got the higher education part, you've got the people who are actually teaching on the ground, you've got people like me who are specialists and we do professional learning, and seeing where everybody fits into that piece of it. So for example, because I like to use examples, I get on meetings now with higher education professors to find out what pre-service teachers are learning. One, that gives me an idea of where I can get professional learning for the teachers that I serve, and two, it lets me know where I can pull from to um, bring teachers into our system. So you've got to start looking at um, the collaboration, the conversation. Higher ed shouldn't be over here. Teachers who are in the classroom shouldn't be over here. And then you've got the specialists and the coordinators over here. No, if you have a committee, it should represent every single person who has something to do with teachers. So I think we've got to unify the efforts more and reach back into the past to see what we don't need to duplicate in the
1: future. Love it. So listen, it's been really long. And. I have four other questions we did not get to tonight, which is fine. Um, uh, Again, uh, I know Stephen believes this when he says, if you're not doing action, right, inaction is action in and of itself. So if you're not being anti-racist or working towards anti-racism, then you are part of the problem. And, um, you know, even if you are, you're still part of the problem. So uh, as white people, our job is to continue to work towards this. Uh, for there. And normally in the show we have a winner and then the winner gets the last word. Uh, I think tonight's show, it's very clear that we brought uh, Dr. Blackshear in here because of our article. So I would like to give you the last word, anything you want, you could promote anything. You could tell us anything. Uh, it's literally up to you, but we thank you for writing this article. Cause again, you see what you have done. You have shape America president here, You have a bunch of people here, it's gonna be on a podcast. Hopefully this will be uh, a change or continue to the change that people have done. What do we need to know uh, from you moving forward? And again, thank you and everyone for being here.
2: I just wanna thank you, Justin, for inviting me and the panel. And it was nice to see some familiar faces and meet some new um, folks. And so the, the struggle continues. Um, look out for more work on this topic from me. And for those of you who want to collaborate, share and um, be change agents, look me up. You know where to find me.
0: Thank you again, everybody, for tuning in tonight. I think this was such an important conversation, and we're going to continue this conversation as well. And I want to thank our special guests. Really, I mean, our whole panel is just amazing and was amazing, and I learned so much. And I really especially want to thank Dr. Tara Blackshear because... It was her article that got this started. I want to thank Brett Fuller for being here, for explaining SHAPE's policy and the policy moving forward. And, of course, our entire panel. Like I said, we can't do this without all of them, these fantastic educators and uh, people in different fields in education. It's just been amazing. It's uh, getting to know them. And I am learning so much. I hope you are too. And take care, PE Nation. For more of this, please go to the website, supersizefizit.com, or join us in the conversation. The link is in the show notes. Join the conversation. Get involved. We need to hear from you. So take care and let's keep pushing the profession forward.